so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Bad news, guys. We've been given a cease and desist letter from Formula One management. Despite that, it's time for Motorsport 101. Hey everybody, I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison, and welcome to episode 33 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. With me, as ever, we have Dartfield's finest, Mr. Adam Johnson. Dartfield? Dartford, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) We're off to the good start. (laughs) Yes, well, welcome to the show. Um, It'll be great to talk about um, Grand Prix Uno racing. So, you know, it'd be great to talk about that. Buis Damilton. Um, is that close enough? Oh, wait a minute. There's someone knocking at my door. I better answer it. BRB. Yeah, well, Johnson files letters from the FBI or they tried to hack into his phone. But coming to you from America, Mr. Ryan King. So, yeah, um, there's the Grand Prix I'm looking forward to this weekend. And it's it's in a desert, but but it's not a desert island. It's it's in the western United States, you know, state of Arizona, Phoenix, heard of it. Ooh. Yeah, we, 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 can we not talk about it by name, though? Because apparently we might get sued. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, wait, it's... IndyCar actually has a sense of humor. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> uh, oh, everybody who's an IndyCar fan. Yeah. But nonetheless, in this rather newsworthy edition of Motorsport 101, we'll be talking about Formula One management again. Great. We'll be talking about them taking down race department mods for their current Formula One games and previous Formula One games as well, as well as talking about how the latest game out of Reza Studios Automobile Easter was taken off of Steam just last night at the time of recording and uh, how, how that is affecting things going forward and why the reaction to that has been so angry from the PC get around racing community and justifiably so to a degree. We'll also be talking about IMSA and the Daytona prototypes that could become a LMP1 sub-series and Mana completing its family reunion with another former F1 driver. We'll also be talking about IndyCar and Roger Penske deciding to go full old man yells at Cloud as he talks about how international races are off the table and that IndyCar needs to get rid of its aero packages, as well as Mario Andretti defending the series about how it could potentially be a feeder series for Formula One. And again, another debate about IndyCar status as a racing league on a global stage going forward. We all know what happened with the Alexander Rossi case a couple of weeks ago and uh, how IndyCar will be progressing as a series going forward. We'll be talking about Renault and the fact they want the fuel flow rate removed and how hilariously stupid that is coming from out of Renault's camp. And we'll also be talking about the news that, that we could be going to Las Vegas. It's like a really cool episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets ends up marrying a wife over there. It's really great. So we'll be talking about that, the, the fact they could potentially replace Monza. Oh, no. Not the sacred Monza, no. as, well, as, as well as CV, the CVC group potentially selling Formula One in what could be an $8.5 billion deal. Great. All that and inevitably much more on this episode of Motorsport 101. And we will start, as I said, with, with some FOM-related news. Now, this all broke this morning. Um Oh, I was just saying, it was kind of like building up to this to this flashpoint this morning, and it looks like we're recording this on Wednesday, March thirtieth. Um, 
So, Race Department had to remove, and the Race Department, as you know, is a very, very popular sim racing site um, on the internet, and they had to recently take down, I think it was something like three or four hundred pages worth of um, Formula One-related mods for their previous Cody's F1 games that are out on PC. And they had to be removed after Formula One sent them a cease and desist. Now, that was one thing. Um, it escalated to a point yesterday where Reza Studios' latest racing game, Automobilista, was in fact taken down from Steam after, again, uh, they, they, were, they had a copyright claim put in. Now, the it's not an official statement from the FOM to say it was them who did it, but in one of those let's be real here moments, we all know where it probably came from. Um, the fact that Automobilista is, is, is a game that does have imitation F1 cars right down to the actual sound of the cars themselves. Um, you can probably put two and two together and work out who put the claim in. And King, as you can imagine, the... PC racing community is not taken kindly to this. <laughs> no, they they are definitely up in arms about this, and I can see why, because uh, getting getting your hands on F1 cars to drive in a simulator is fairly difficult, mm. and people don't want to play the official Formula 1 game by Codemasters because it's not as realistic as they would like it to be, and that's completely understandable. And it's just a massive headache. Out of all the times now FOM decides to do this, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, like, it, Formula One has not had a good couple of weeks, in case you may or may not have lived under a rock for the last fortnight. <laughs> it's not been a good couple of weeks for Formula One in general. Like, we, we, we've we already all talked about it. You, you, you may have seen last week's Dre Brief about this a couple of days ago, talking about the point of no return that I was talking about when it came to F1's decision-making process laid out for the world to see. Um and now a week after that, now they've gotten really bitchy about the prospect of uh, them taking down, again, race department mods. The modding scene has been completely crippled by this for Cody's former F1 games and, of course, also Mobilista going down due to a copyright claim from probably the FOM. Um, again, you may have seen this on Twitter earlier today as well, like, people obviously it's hard to ignore this because obviously my past as, as an f1 youtuber it's hard to ignore stuff like this um and again like it doesn't help that f1 play theme was almost impossible to mod for a good while as well maybe that was the reason why the game itself was so hard to mod because maybe they were trying to protect themselves from this potential thing from happening i don't know it could, it's just a theory i've come up with but of course people in my space were going to get really pissed about this because many popular racing leagues use r factor as a base to work with um many people use cody's leagues obviously the aor is a prime example of that they use they use these games as league formats many many times for f1 2013 onwards even going back to 2012 there was racing leagues in the aor so johnson there's been a lot of um anger regarding this story i think that's fair to say mm. is it justified in this case um to a large extent yes i mean mm -hmm. let's clarify the groundwork here the FOM ultimately are entitled to protect their IP, their intellectual property, yep. their license. 
that's, you know, you can't really argue with that. Um, yeah. As much as it's kind of a mean-spirited move, they're okay to do that. What I think has really pushed people over the edge here is the Automobilista takedown, which was for imitation Formula One cars. You know, in the same vein as Project Cars' Formula A or mm-hmm. R Factor 2's stock car mod with, you know imitation sprint cup cars that are sort of like it but not really and that's a real gray area in its own right i mean if you start i was thinking about this earlier when this all broke if you get into that gray area isn't every grand theft auto game ever made in big trouble because aren't all their cars Mm. loose imitations of real world cars like mustangs or ferraris and things like that this is a real bad gray area and i think ultimately the reason why there is so much frustration here is number one it feels unnecessary what, yeah. I mean, what really is, this is just kind of, especially as you said, when Formula One has big issues to solve, what do they get out of alienating a section of the fan base that does nothing but ultimately support Formula One? It mm-hmm. drives up awareness of the product. It brings it to, you know, it celebrates. Ultimately, these people are making these mods off their own back for free to yeah. celebrate the sport, to celebrate the game and, and bring it out. And I've enjoyed various mods for that. I mean, in other spheres, it's not really a Cody's issue. I don't think it's a Codemasters issue. No over no. on dirt rally they've got plenty of uh custom paint schemes and that for cars in the game and you know elsewhere in the modding scene games like nascar 2003 are still alive today because of regular season mods physics edits things like that and it just so first up it feels mean-spirited it feels yeah. like a real what's the point what's the point in doing this in going after a section of the fan base that's niche because most people probably play the Formula One games, the official Formula One games on console mm. and modding is not a thing for them. So on PC and the reason why so many of these people have got so, in, you know, in angry, I can understand, you know, look at someone like Arav, for example, an F1 YouTuber. Yeah. These guys, him and his, his uh, in the community, they've gone, right, F1 2015 has barely any content in it. There's nothing. We did a right. career mode. We did a pro season. That's it. Even the online leagues, not really anything. We have to branch out and do something else. So let's do modded career modes on old games. Let's do an R-Factor modded career. Let's do something else over here. And effectively, that's now been shut down. FOM have gone, no, sorry, you're playing the official game, the current one, or nothing. Tough. Tough titty. And that's a real kind of a bad move. And also, the second point here is this is classic kind of backwards thinking. And we've seen this... Mm-hmm. especially on YouTube with uh, the Hollywood, the film industry, and their abuse of fair use law to take down videos, you know, that might be monetizing films even when they're not and the whole fair use gray area. But the big thing here is, and I equated this to the battle against PC game piracy, because we've seen games like SimCity, which really dropped the ball in terms of trying to stop piracy with Always Online, with DRM and on all this really heavy stuff that basically treated its gamers and its players like criminals. And yeah. this is effectively what FOM are doing. It's treating its own fans like criminals and I just keep thinking of Gabe Newell, the, um, the head of Valve, and obviously the head of Steam by Dint. He said, you know, the best way to combat piracy is to offer a better service than the pirates. So... What FOM have done is the classic old school, let's ban and shut down the competition so they have no choice but to play the official F1 game. Yay, problem solved. When really, shouldn't they be looking at ways to improve the official F1 game so no one should need to mod anything else? They shouldn't need to rip off your 
well, not rip off, but copy your intellectual property. And, you know, it's not like these guys are making much money off it. Maybe in YouTube hits, if you're a YouTuber, maybe you could argue that's the case. But it's mm. not like these mods are generally for sale. You know, the whole Steam selling mods thing lasted about a week. That was a bad idea. Right. But it's just, it's in bad taste. It's not a good thing. FOM, as I say, technically probably has a legal groundwork for the official mods, like the cars that actually replicate the real cars. But when you're getting into games that imitate Formula One, eh, that's a very bad move. And that was what really pushed people over the edge here. And rightfully so, because it's just, it's, it's poor. You don't see, you haven't seen NASCAR really do this. You haven't seen any other major racing series do it because, hey, they probably could, but ultimately, what would they get out of it? It's not like they're losing a load of money over this. And ultimately, these guys are celebrating the sport. So, yeah, it's just a messy situation. It's not good. Yeah, I mean, I don't see much of a positive by taking down an imitation game. I, I feel like you're clutching at straws for, for situations like this. Can I just like point this. out, by the way, the whole thing about we don't know if it was FOM for certain, the Rise of Studios in their statement, they said, oh, the game was taken off Steam due to a copyright claim. Their exact words were, no prizes for guessing who it was. Ah. <laughs> pretty yeah, strong I, words i have to say yeah i i think that tells everybody all they need to know about who potentially could have done something like this yeah i'm not even going to bother using the word allegedly anymore because it, it's 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 the fom i mean it, it's far too coincidental for it not to be especially in the frankly. same week they've been attacking and taking down mods on race department it's too much of a coincidence exactly, exactly. and it's a shame I, I i i ultimately agree with what johnson's saying i think that it's it's a clutching at straws kind of move that I, I mean I don't know how much the FOM makes off the license that you know they're given to Codemasters they can produce they can promote these games but ultimately mods enhance the overall experience of the video games that guys like Cody's will will make money from by selling like like. I do not underestimate the power of YouTube. I mean, I mentioned it before. Team at Marlux made 120,000 subs right now. Like, Arab's got 70K. There's a, there's a few others that have 50 plus. Like, a good endorsement of the, of the video game series will make extra sales. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but I'd like to think that me, even as a smaller YouTuber, I've had people tell me before in the past, oh, Dre, I've seen you play MotoGP 15 and I liked it so much I bought the game. That's happened, to me on, that's happened to me on three or four occasions where people have said oh, they've actually dropped 40, 50 quid on a game just because they've seen me play it. So if that's happening to me, a guy that only ever had maybe six and a half subs, in, six and a half thousand subs in my prime, like I can't, like, like I can't underestimate the potential that a guy on 120k or a guy on 70k has when it comes to subscribers. And, and let's be real, Codemasters <laughs> acknowledge that too. Look at the big uh, fuss they made over inviting a lot of these YouTubers down to beta test F1 2016. They exactly. made a big deal about it and openly kind of encouraged them to promote it. This is Codemasters yeah, exactly. embracing YouTube and what it can do to benefit their game. Yeah, and hit, I think hitting the mod scene in particular does more harm than good because ultimately, if there's a mod scene for the game, it will sell more because it just PC gives it more longevity. Guys, yeah, PC guys love that shit. They love making mods for the game. We like you. You could Google like, if you Google Has F1 team. The top page of, of pictures on Google Images has a Tiamat Marduk video with a made-up Has livery on it as one of the top five 
overall pitches for the Hass F1 team. Do not underestimate the influence of YouTube here because it is a huge part of why the mod scene has carried the Cody's franchise on PC for the last three or four years now. Like Ever since 2013, we've seen an active mod scene for the Cody's F1 series, and people have finally just started to crack 2015 after months of them trying to be very encrypted with trying to protect it and again maybe the license from the fom is part of the reason why they tried so high to heart tried so hard to hide it but uh overall king like i think it's another bad smear on fom i mean we've, we've all called them draconian in the past and how they go about themselves and i think it's fair to say it's one thing to go after race footage which i think is very fair given you know they want to make their own money on it and you know, it's they could go after the mod scene, and, and they've got every, they've got every right to do that if they believe it's taking money out of their pockets. But I don't see where they're losing money on something like this by taking down the mods. Like, like it's going to hurt sales of future games, surely. Yeah, like I don't see mod affecting sales at all, especially when it comes to PC titles, because like I don't see Codemasters really pushing for you know Bath One games to be leading on PC sales. Mm. And this is supposed to be a time when FOM are trying to save face with the public and mm. they're not at all. They're just making things even worse by making probably one of the most vocal online communities have a reason to hate them even more. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? This is a community that's probably a very niche one. As I say, most of the... you totally right, King. Most of the F1 games are console-centric. That's why they're more kind of simcade in their handling. But the PC community is a very vocal one. And the fuss they kicked up earlier, wow. It was, it was something to behold. And yeah, you're absolutely right. This is just a PR and goal. They just look like a bunch of out-of-touch old farts who yeah. really don't understand that these guys are actually celebrating their game. And a lot of these guys, as I say, they're getting into modding uh, into the modding community and into modded careers and that because they've rinsed the official F1 game and there's nothing yeah. in it. Surely, you know, the, the F1 game that was most highly rated in the last years was 2013. What yeah. was a big factor in that? The extra content. The extra content. The classic content, the 1980s cars, the 1990s cars, the additional tracks. You know, that was a game that really stuffed it to the gills with content and it had tons of replayability. It had challenge modes, careers, all the classic stuff, and it really went down well. So surely, I mean, I speculated on this earlier. Dre, you might be able to help me out with this. Sure. FIFA, a big FIFA mm. gaming community. Um, as far as I know, there's not as much of a modding scene around FIFA. No. Is that the case? And if so, is that because the FIFA games have so much regular content in the games anyway that they kind of don't need to update it? Well, for one of like FIFA is not popular on the PC. It's 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 very it's a console much game. Yeah, that's fair. It's a yeah, it's a console game. It's the get your mates around the TV kind of game. No one's playing FIFA on a PC. Like for example, Ultimate Team wise, their PC market is dead and their prices are stupidly high, like forty to fifty times higher than than in the console versions because nobody plays the PC, so everybody can just jack up the price and everything. So like. FIFA is not a PC franchise by any stretch of the imagination. And even if it was, I don't think there'd be a massive mod scene for it because they're overall better games. Like, you you get a lot... Like, if you're a FIFA guy, you're a football fan, chances are you buy every new FIFA regardless anyway because it's just a go-to purchase. You'll, you'll take... You'll, you'll 
pay the extra 50 quid a year just to have updated rosters as opposed to like any other new modes. That's a bonus, quite frankly. So I don't think it's a major mod thing, but I think F1 in, in, in when it comes to that is in a different category in that regard. But there's always been people pushing for mod scenes in racing games. We've seen it on Project Cars for years before it even came out properly on disc. We've seen it in R-Factor. We've seen it in basically every major PC racing sim you can think of over the last decade. Put it this way, have, NASCAR yeah. Heat, a game that came out in 1999, I think it was, or maybe 2000, still lives on now as open source thanks to the modding community. Yeah, and absolutely. same with NASCAR so, Racing 2003 season. That probably still remains the most popular NASCAR game alongside the official one because of the modding scene. It's been modded into all sorts of games. It's yeah, unbelievable. So re- yeah, so removing that has o- is only going to really upset the PC gaming community who, of course, are a very vocal, very strong community. We saw it this morning with like things the FOM would take down, which, you know, is just a vintage twitter account <laughs> yeah you know it's it's, it's, it's uh yeah shout out to naran for that one because i know what he's like um him and his porno stash but uh yeah it's one of those things where we've seen where we, people jump on this kind of thing and, it, and again it's things like this that damage the brand in the long run and as king quite rightly pointed out it's it's irritating because this has not been a good month for the FOM at all. It, many, many times, like the TV deal didn't go down well. You know, the qualifying fiasco didn't go down oh well. The, the idiocy of the decision-making process was exposed like like a Kim Kardashian nude photograph. And now you've got this on top of it, which is even worse now. And now they're going after the gamers, which is the last people you want to piss off because gamers yeah. are vocal. We've all seen the Gamergate incidents. We've, we've all seen the wave about censorship. If you've ever watched a Jim Sterling video on the Jim position, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's it's little things like that. Where it, it doesn't take much to piss off gamers. It really doesn't. So that's the last audience you want to go after. But, and as uh, we've I'm said before, move, you know, you think of someone like T.M. at Marduk, 120,000 subscribers. That's a significant audience. If he yes, went out yeah. there and made a video about this and said, screw FOM, we're not supporting the official F1 games after this, that's actually quite a big influence he's got. It's so, a massive audience. Yeah, that, video so, would get, that video would get at least 50,000 views. Absolutely. There you go. So as you said, they've got quite a big platform. So Codemasters themselves have got the right idea in terms of embracing that audience. FOM, as I say, it just stinks of them being old farts, thinking they can, you know, yeah. do things the old mm. way. Yeah, yeah like like if if you look at it like from an American standpoint, I'd say like the oldest sport in the United States, baseball. They've embraced the online modern community when it comes to games. Like uh, like I would say baseball's version of football manager, out of the park baseball. It was an, it was an unlicensed game until this year. Major League Baseball decided to like sell this small development team the license, and this game is probably like you think football managers throw. Outside of the park, baseball is thorough. You can at least start your manager career like any point in baseball history, including like the first modern season, like 1871. Oh my wow. goodness, that is incredible. That's ridiculous. Yeah, Major League, Major League Baseball gave them the license. They get to use photos from all the players that they have in their archives, all the official all the official team logos, even the historical logos they have in their archives. They get everything. Wow, Just because- shout out to MLB, man. That is yeah. unbelievable. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> I 
it's unbelievably generous of them to be able to give them that kind of like that that, that must enhance their game tenfold because now they've got yeah. M, they've got the MLB name behind it. They have all their stock footage and and licenses and what that that is such a cool thing to have. Yeah, like before they had the license, like everything would come out with like generic names and things, right. and they would like, like probably wink, wink, nudge. Yeah, yeah, it would be like Pro Evo, but like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's the yeah. bots to get like all the official stuff we have. Yeah, there you yeah, go. exactly. So, so yeah, again, I we could wish FOM could do so many little things to enhance the media profile of the sport and what it's like on TV and whatnot, but maybe that's just a pipe dream going forward for the time being but i'd like to move on from this segment because i want to move on to some more interesting news going to uh king and over in america as we talk about imsa uh we haven't talked about them since the uh obviously the brilliant 24 hours of daytona we had a couple months ago but uh king there is some news coming through that it looks like the uh, we'll be seeing even more of the daytona prototypes going forward yeah, yeah, the the new successor class, the Daytona prototypes and the Le Mans prototypes, Le Mans LMP2 in the United States will be the Daytona prototype international next year. Will it's basically going to be a heavily modified LMP2, and the ACO have been very, they've been very against the DPI idea from the beginning, but they're starting right. to warm up to it, and they're considering inviting. LMP, I mean, DPIs to Le Mans next year. That sounds really cool because I do remember watching the 24 hours of Daytona and these, these prototypes are pretty unique and, and, and very, very fast indeed. They're not a million miles behind the LMP ones we see, you know, headlining every black, white, and red Microsoft Paint color palette we've seen this year as it is. But uh, they're very, very fast machines. They're very unique compared to the look of the... Uh, big full ball prototypes that we've seen but uh, king why were they so against this in the first place my uh, curiosity because i'm not i'm not as you know i'm not oh. a big prototype guy i don't really have been <laughs> well but, um, it, um, the, the new it, it's a completely new class it may be called daytona prototype international but it's nothing like the daytona pro- prototypes you saw this year like they're right. scrapping the the old tube frame chassis and going to modern carbon fiber monocoques they're gonna look just like lmp2s but they're gonna oh, be right. They're going to be manuf- they're going to have their own manufacturer power units. I think they're going to be running things based off of GP uh, GT3 power units and they're also going to have uh customizable body kits based on each manufacturer kind mm. of similar to what IndyCar does. IndyCar. Yeah, yeah that, that, that 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 one just came straight into my head there like a light bulb moment there. I was like, <laughs> "Oh, body kits, IndyCar." Yeah. Um, yes. But um okay, so they're going if, if if this is going to happen. So when is, is this is going to be happening in IMSA, or are they going to be scrapping these old designs, or is it going to be just for Le Mans as, a, as an own separate class uh, in that WEC? They're, they're they're scrapping their old classes. DPI will be the headlining class for the 2017 season, and the ACO are a little squeamish about this because next year the ACO is introducing a new LMP2 class, which will be a spec class, and DPI doesn't really fit in that class because they don't they don't think they could balance it right. They think the DPIs will be much faster because obviously they're manufacturer cars. Right. But they want to if they if they were to include DPIs at Le Mans, it would probably be a subclass of LMP1, like the LMP1 privateers. 
Okay, okay. So yeah, as like as I know the, the key words that um you mentioned before the show we before we started taping this was a sub series or like a a a, a, a subclass because I know the LMP one technically speaking is a subclass depending on how much um power the power units produce. I know um between like four, six, and eight megajoules are uh, their power units and etc. So it's not all that surprising to see that they could go down this route, but um. I'm intrigued to see how it goes forward um, because, again, the, again, my first experience of you know IMSA was just earlier this year, and I'm, I'm looking to get into endurance racing a little bit more this year and uh, join what I like call the tumbler of motorsport, according to old friend Kraken. <laughs> um, so, you know, seeing how these uh, carbon fiber monocoque cars going forward in the DPIs go forward is going to be very interesting indeed. Uh, Johnson, any thoughts on this real quick? Because I know you're, I know you're more of a prototype sports car guy. I know you had the 12 hours of Sebring last week. Um, yeah, you got any thoughts on this, mate? I know, again, you, you even know more about this than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I really like this idea because for me, the, uh, the thing is basically for the longest time, um, America ran the same LMP1 regulations as the rest of the world. Um, but when the FIA WEC, uh, ret- when there was a world championship for sports car racing, when that returned in 2011, they went to Sebring as a class and they went to the Petit Le Mans at the end of the season, but then went, no, you know what? We're doing it on our own way. We're going to have our own round at Circuit of the Americas. We're not going to the American rounds. And so America, they sort of split and they went in very different directions. The problem is um, it will be a lot simpler if IMSA could just run LMP1H top-end prototypes in America. Number one, the costs are ridiculous. It would never happen. Number two, most of the American tracks aren't FIA grade one spec. And basically, the WEC right. won't race on anything less unless it's Le Mans. Um, that's the kind of exception. It's a bit like Monaco in F1. Um, yeah, yeah. But basically, the problem that the ACO and IMSA have got right now is that for the ACO, LMP2 is a support class. It's the second tier of sports car racing beneath the manufacturer haven that is LMP1. Because let's be real, LMP1H, those hybrids, the Porsche, Toyota, Audis, really expensive. I mean, wow. They are yeah, seriously be, fancy bits of kit. Million told, yeah. I mean, no wonder Nissan canned their project after a year when it really wasn't, it didn't get results after one race. It was uh, just ridiculous. But IMSA don't have that as a headline class. And effectively, what they've gone is gone, well, hang on a minute, we've got LMP2 as our headline class, but the ACO are about to turn that into a spec class, and we can't headline our premier sports car class with that. We've got to attract mm-hmm. manufacturers. We've got to make this the premier division. How on earth do we do that? So let's take the LMP2 platform, but make it more into a sort of, like how LMP1 was before it embraced the hybrid rules, you know, like a major manufacturer class, but not quite as outrageously expensive or, tech, you know, he- heavy technologically and things like that. And of course, the ACO have got nervous because they've gone, well, hang on a minute, you won't be able to race at Le Mans. We're, we're going to split off. And the ACO, uh, as far as I know, IMSA have kind of called their bluff and gone, what are you going to do about it? We're going to race in mm. America and we've got three major sports car races here in America, Daytona, Sebring and Petit Le Mans. So I, this feels to me like the ACO going, well, we're going to have to come to some sort of compromise because we can't, you know, we've picked our way with the new LMP2 rules, but we can't have, because ultimately what the ACO are scared of is manufacturers going, we could go into the WEC in LMP1H, which is ruinously expensive, but we could also go into IMSA in the DPI class, which is 
almost an LMP1, but nowhere near as expensive. And they get the massive American market. That's why manufacturers like Bentley, BMW, they've already been sniffing around the 2017 IMSA prototype regulations. They're already interested. So I wonder if this is the ACO going, well, we're going to have to find a way to try and fit these in with our plans too. And to be honest, I like it. I like the rule. I always thought the LMP1L rule set, which is currently in WEC, the home of like Rebellion, Coles, you know, teams like right, that. Right. Mm. I always thought something like that as a headline class for IMSA would work really well. So if this works out, this could work out quite well for all involved. Yep. So yeah, yeah go, go on, King. And uh, yeah, and the new P2 class in, up that was you know, devised by the ACO has seemed to be a failure so far. Because right now they're looking for, for for ideas to improve the competitiveness of the LMP1L class. Because right now it's just Rebellion and Bicolas in that in that subclass. And teams they thought were going to move up because they were making LMP1 spec, like Straka and other teams, decided to just say we're either going to stay in the spec class or just leave completely because they feel like if they can't compete against the manufacturer LMP ones, there's no point in competing at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Seems, seems very intriguing indeed. Uh, the other minor uh, LMP story we saw today was that Meta Manor, uh, obviously taking part in this year's LMP2 class, they've completed their lineup. And guess who, King? It's another former Manor F1 driver. And that is Roberto <laughs> Mehi. Has well, that's made pretty much the only it. one they hadn't signed yet, wasn't it? That was the only <laughs> one left. <laughs> like, like they couldn't get Max Chilton, obviously after he's gone gone over to Chip Ganassi in IndyCar this year. So the only one left really was Roberto May, and they thought, sod it, why not? Let's, let's complete the family reunion. They've already got James Jakes over there, and who was the other guy they got from there already? Um, it was uh... Will Steve. Yeah, Will Stevens, that's right. Will the lad Stevens. So uh, now we've got Roberto Mehi. So it's a complete manor family reunion. And shout out to Patreon backer and friend of the show, Jake Callahan, for tweeting this out. But it's like it's like they've left Manor F1 to go to Manor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just thought that was worth pointing out. They've been released out, by man. Manor, but also signed by Manor. What? It's, it, it's, it's still really confusing and kind of irritating to say this every once in a while, but yes, it's 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 two separate Manors at this point. It's a bit like Formula 1 2011, where there were two Lotus teams. <laughs> no, we're the, will the real Lotus please stand up? Like, like, was it was like Lotus Caterham and like Lotus Renault, and it was so... F- Friggin' irritating. That was really weird. Uh, but yeah, moving on quickly. Yeah, IndyCar. And there's been a couple of interesting stories coming out of IndyCar. And for those that um, those that know, know, but uh, Darth Vader, or sorry, or should I say Roger Penske, has, um, <laughs> has had a lot to say vocally the last week regarding IndyCar. And first of all, King, he basically said that international races are pretty much off the table. Yeah, like, uh, I'll read out his quote where Roger Pansky said, I would like to have 15 or 16 good races. I don't want to have 18, 19, or 20. I'm not interested in going overseas. I think if we run our series here, we'll be a lot better off. Our sponsors, 95% of them, are U.S. domestic countries. If we're going to give them the benefit, the notoriety, and the business-to-business relations, we have to maintain these sponsors as we do, as hard as we, as hard as, as hard as it would be to do in Abu Dhabi and places like that. 
Well, it's an interesting thing because I know IndyCar had a couple of issues regarding international races before. I mean, obviously they can't go where Formula One is going for obvious reasons. Um, They can't, I mean, they tried to go to Dubai, but then like they chickened out at the 11th hour because they thought ISIS could be over there basically, (laughs) even though Dubai isn't a part of the world where that really isn't a thing. (laughs) Um, So it's not like they haven't dabbled with the idea of international races. Of course, wasn't Sao Paulo on the calendar until a couple of years ago? Yeah, yep. Sao Paulo yeah, there was, was a chance on the calendar. Mexico, yeah, like, they were supposed to start the series in... Um, or, no, it was Sao Paulo, wasn't it? My apologies. Yeah, yeah, Sao Paulo. And I still remember that for the James Hinchcliffe up and under from a couple of years ago, which is still glorious in every way. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, like they, it's not that they have never done like foreign races before even though you could argue that you know you could just go to all it's it's the americas kind of thing by going to brazil basically which is you know already has a really strong motorsport community and you know is in the ballpark in you know more obviously more south america than the north but even so i mean we already have a race in canada uh with toronto of course and what uh well i mean kind that's of. basically america like yeah i know he, he quoted, like, I have no problem going to Canada and Mexico. There are a lot of people in the Northwest United States that like racing, and these tracks and, and date equity is, is so important that he, he wants to grow racing here in the United States first. And they're, like he said, like the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Portland, we don't race there. No one races there. NASCAR doesn't race there. IMSA doesn't race there. No one does. Right. So... Is has Roger got a point in making? Because I think it makes a solid. I, I didn't realize what what Roger's Roger Penske's quote was in full until you read it out there. Was that that key part of the quote, so to speak? But yeah, I, if there's one thing I do notice as being a newer IndyCar fan, they are very hard on sponsorship. Like you will see the Penske's rock seven or eight different liveries over the course of a season, and they they, they had the big announcement or press conference that um. Who is it for? For I think it was for Simon Pagano's car, I think. Yes. Um, who, who was the sponsor again, King? Oh, I don't recall what the sponsor is, which is terrible for terrible. the sponsors. The car was, was like fluorescent yellow, and and uh, hang on, I'm gonna get to, I'm gonna get on Twitter real quick here, like team. Yeah, Penske. while you look that up, I'll just say it doesn't really help American sponsors when you're racing in markets where they don't sell, like. Pensy, right. obviously, Verizon. Verizon does not exist outside the continent, no, no. Uh, outside of, of North course. America. If it was Vodafone, then maybe it'd have a point. But yeah, I think guys, ultimately, it, 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 yeah, it was Menards sponsoring the number twenty-two. They're okay. going to be sponsoring them in IMSA and Road America this season. It's that bright fluorescent yellow. Yeah, I like of course. Oh, that Pagano is going to be rocking at those free races. So yeah, Menards is going to be sponsoring them there. And again, another pretty much purely North American sponsor. <laughs> Yeah, because I, it's more of like uh, an American thing where they're willing to, you know, go supply and demand with this. If, if no one's willing to buy your sponsorship at a certain price, they're willing to lower it until they get a sponsor. It's not like F1 where they're willing to hold out and run a blank car. Yeah, and nobody really wants that. And if anything, Pagano gets the raw deal with that a lot of the time because he's often <laughs> yeah. got the blank Penske yellow and white 22 livery. It's the most generic thing in the world, poor guy. Um, and, again, and again, finding individual sponsors for four cars can be really difficult sometimes. So, mm. you know, it's the nature of the beast. So, yeah, I could see Ryan Rogers 
talked about this um, from an international standpoint. Indy- IndyCar is a very, very, very American series. Um, and going to places like Dubai is not going to help them because an American sponsor kind of serves no purpose over there, so to speak. The other issue he pointed out was seemingly these body kits. Now, even I know, and I only started watching IndyCar again, like early last season, that the body parts and you know the body body the body in the aero kits have been talked about a lot for Honda and, and Chevy and IndyCar so far, and they've had a tricky history, so to speak. Um, he wants them gone, King. <laughs> Yeah, like, quote, uh, I'll just say, just preface this, Rick Mears is a current advisor on Team Ken C, and he's an IndyCar legend. He's won the 500 four times. He quotes, he says, Rick Mears has been saying this for 10 years now. we got to take downforce off the car, and he's an advocate for, for that. Uh, for us, going to Phoenix, going around Phoenix in 19 seconds and pulling six Gs is ridiculous. If something mm. happens, there's going to be no human being who could catch it if the car if the car is slipping and sliding and and accidents as violent as they are a a driver a driver has taken most of the slide out of it by the time he's made contact just remember the shock load that iowa broke Juan's suspension last year very good point um Ugh, it's. it's <laughs> it, 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 I I don't want to go down this road again because we've we've done it so much in Formula One the last two months or whatever with Halo discussions and obviously Alonso's enormous wreck in Australia a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's another one of those safety discussions. I saw IndyCar's video um, on their channel about a couple of days ago about the, they've got the tethers now on, on, on a lot of the cars. And yeah. this was like their solution to the potential uh, dangers of a closed cockpit. Instead of thinking about alternate cockpits, he was talking more, uh, their, their approach was more try and keep as much body work on the car as possible in, in the case of impacts, which again is another way of looking at it. Um, Johnson, these these aero kits have drawn a lot of fire. I know Will Power kind of wants them gone as well, and he wants to power up instead. Like, is there a right approach to this? And, like, is this another one of those, you know, car entertainment versus safety kind of dilemmas that motorsport seems to have these days by the week? <laughs> well, I think so. I think the big issue here is... Um, IndyCar is trying to work out what it wants to be. Now, we've got to look at this in the context of from the mid to late 90s through 2007, open wheel racing in America was split. It actually had two separate series which embodied completely different concepts. You had IndyCar, which was spec aero, uh, the engines only being different, almost exclusively ovals. I believe they didn't actually run road course races until about 2005, 06. Yep. Um, uh, I like having King on board because he'll tell me straight away if I'm wrong on historical facts. Yeah. He's brilliant. Um, he's, he's the oracle. He is the oracle. Um, so they went right down the line with that. And Penske was in that series. He jumped quite quickly to that series, having ran quite a few seasons in Kart, which was the other side of the coin, which that later became Champ Car. Champ Car was the series that went high downforce, spectacular fast cars, international races. I mean, they were running at Brands Hatch in 2003. Most of their Uh, final season in 07 was in Europe. They had rounds at Zolder and Assen in Holland, you know? So, and look at it like this. Which of the two series died? Champ Car. It went under in 2008. Now, I'm not saying it was purely because of the philosophy, but I think Penske's probably looking at this saying, hey, we've tried to be relevant internationally before. We've tried to go in the 
kind of be a competition to F1 in terms of spectacular cars and glamour and going around the world. And it didn't work. Ultimately, in domestic America, which is our main market, we are mostly about close racing. I mean, NASCAR has had this issue the last few years. NASCAR's always been about close racing. It's stock car racing. But in the last few years, they've had downforce increases and that's ended up killing killing the racing. It's been an all-time low, some of it. This year, they've finally taken some downforce off and it's like, it's like night and day. Suddenly, it's like, yeah. wow, this is what NASCAR's about again. It's brilliant. I can actually follow a car nose to tail and go side by side without lel dirty air. And I think Penske's sitting there going, hang on a minute, if this has worked great wonders in NASCAR, and let's be honest, on the domestic American scale in motorsport, everyone's chasing NASCAR. Everyone is right. way behind NASCAR in terms of audience, in terms of, um, what's the word? Not brand reach, but like, you know, parts of the market and the fan base. So I wonder if Penske's looking at it and going, oh, do you know what? Why should we be trying to be internationally relevant, trying to appeal to the Formula One type fans with these spectacular aero kit cars and different things? And um, why should we be doing that when at our core, what's always served us is close racing and competition, you know, focusing on the domestic market. Um and I wonder if that's his logic here. I wonder if he's, uh, he's probably got a point. I mean, he's yeah. a very smart yeah. guy. Let's be real. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things he pointed out was that the cost effectiveness, like to do this Absolutely. has not been cheap for anyone. And it has hurt the, he's pointed out that it's hurt the series as a whole, like quote, ask Honda and Chevrolet, how much they had to spend on the arrow kits and ask the average fans. If they noticed the difference between them, bring 30 people from the grandstand and ask them, which is the Chevy Chevrolet and which is the Honda. I don't think they could tell you, especially this IndyCar- year where they've become a lot closer. And the big thing is in IndyCar for the manufacturers, it's, it's not like in Formula One, like, for example, where you've got Renault, who are working on two cars. They're working on their team cars and their aero. Honda are working on aero kits and supporting about 9, 10, 11 cars at a time. Same with Chevrolet. They are split down the middle in terms of supporting a lot of cars and a lot of teams. So they have to get this aero right. Otherwise, there's a lot of people banging on their door going, oi, your aero kit sucks and you've let us down. So it's yeah. very difficult balance. I don't think I don't think I'm, I've 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 forgotten the first race they debuted these aero kits and like Honda lost seven M plates in its opening round. <laughs> it wasn't That's a good bad. look. And like the like the longer this has gone on, like I've seen more and more little stories about how they don't like these aero kits. I know Will Power was was very vocal about them a couple of weeks ago, saying he'd rather the cars have maybe eight to nine hundred horsepower instead of the five to six they have now. Yep, and have a bigger emphasis on removing the aero kits and having drivers work for it a little bit more yep, as opposed absolutely. to five to six and maybe this emphasis on massive amounts of downforce which is kind of ironic given that everyone seems to praise indycar for having cars that can run nose to tail <laughs> which i think is just hilarious in its own right like, like i said like oh wait like indycar's still really good despite having high downforce this but is the amazing again, thing mentioned this is the yeah. amazing thing everyone's whining these people are complaining about the error kits they're saying they don't like it. it's dirty air and it's way too fast and yet, last year was an absolute classic. The racing was yeah. brilliant. The racing was fantastic, and it's amazing. Like, like I think IndyCar is is a bit more has got a bit more upside for potentially great racing because of just the nature of the series itself. But as King pointed out, there is a financial handicap that comes with that because these aero kits are not cheap, and of course, Honda had to spend a ton of money being allowed to develop to try and make them as similar as possible to Chevy to try and keep the field as equal as possible. So. If you could have racing that was just as entertaining, 
without the costs of the aero kits, what purpose do they serve again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the big thing is here, think- you know, the racing in 2015 was great, but the racing before that, pre-aero kits, was if anything, just as good. I mean, in 2014, it was a, it was a really great year as well. So I think a lot of these teams are going, well, hang on. We had a really good price racing product anyway. We've put a lot into these new era kits for what gain? Yeah, King, you were saying? And this is probably like the last Penske quote I'm going to say, where he says, IndyCar needs to establish stability. I think mm. the option of secondhand equipment is important where a team owner can get into the series by buying a used chassis and go and can go lease an engine. We need to have that. If you have to write a big check to get in, that's going to hurt newcomers. Absolutely. So we got to keep the cars simple yeah. end quote. And I think that's true. It, we could see this, you know, the grid size for most Indy car races aren't that large. I'd probably say it's about where formula one is at right yeah, now. 23 roughly about 23, right? Yeah, and if you could buy a used car and know it's going to be good for a year or two, that could, you know, serve as encouragement for people to make that step into the series as an owner. Yeah, because we, we, we've seen Colin hint at the idea of potentially doing it, but I think the money issue has always come up with it. And IndyCar is even tighter when it comes to, to, when it comes to money and pay drivers and that kind of rap. In, in Formula One is like like it's sometimes it's a matter of entire teams are shutting down or breaking off partners because of the nature of how expensive the sport can get. So I wanted to go like full old man yells at cloud at Roger Penty, <laughs> but the more I think about it, the more he's actually made three very very valid points about the series. I was going to say he's an old man and maybe he is shouting at cloud, but he wouldn't do it if unless he's a very smart man. Let's be honest yes. about this. Yes. And I think some of this has come from uh, over in NASCAR. I think, honestly, he's looked at NASCAR and mm. gone, wait, well, these guys have realized that cutting down force, upping horsepower, look at the impact on the racing it's had and look at the fans, look at the momentum that series has got just by cutting 30% of the downforce. And yeah, imagine, yeah. you know, an IndyCar has a much less of a market share uh, than NASCAR. So That's, IndyCar yeah. has to be more... You know, it has less margin for error. Like if Formula One can mess up badly, but it's the biggest sport, it's the biggest motorsport in the world. It's probably be okay. IndyCar knows that if it makes a really bad move and starts to drive off teams and manufacturers, it won't survive. It has to get things right. And it has to be a viable competitor to NASCAR and a viable factor on the American motorsport stage. Yeah, like right now, IndyCar is third. IndyCar is third in terms of motorsport in the U.S., which is a bit ridiculous when you think about it. What is, is that behind IMSA or behind NASCAR Xfinity? Uh, na- they're behind the Cup Series and they're behind AMA Supercross. Oh, wow. Yes, that's, that's, that's a very good point. I didn't and, realize uh, AMA Supercross was that big. Yeah, yeah it's, it really is. It's mainly because they only race in like big football stadiums in the middle of <laughs> cities and they're all, all the races that are prime time on Sunday nights or Saturday yeah, that's nights. That's a big factor. Nice, yeah. that's, 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 a, that's a nice TV slot for them. This with, this with the NFL not on TV right now, of course, because their seasons are in September. So, yeah, that's some very, very valid points. I love the customer car idea. I think that really neat. That would, that would be a fantastic boost for IndyCar because I've always seen teams like Carlin think about making the full time switch to the full meat and potato series of IndyCar, but again, have never had the funds to quite pull it off. And that could be something that could easily take them into the mix. And yeah, like I said, IndyCar grids are relatively small. 
small. I mean, 22, 23 is not ideal. I know it's obviously like more like 35, 40 for the Indy 500, but it's that's that's the Indy 500. Of course, it's the, it's the biggest, one of the, if not the, one of the biggest races in the world as a one-off spectacle. So, yeah, I, I, want, I wanted to diss Roger Penske, but he's made three very viable points. God damn it, shit. <laughs> that's, that's my one swear for the episode. Um, but uh, on the Ching. other side of the... Of the um, in the spectrum, again, we mentioned this before with Alexander Rossi when he when he made made it no secret that he was using um, IndyCar as a potential step in to get back into Formula One one day, um, and talking about how he alienated a lot of IndyCar's media and fans by basically writing the series almost like a stepping center as a number two, where you know there's. Like I said before, IndyCar seems to have this image that it really wants to be the better than F1 cousin that is better than Formula One in every way that you kind of resent in that kind of regard. Like he's that spoiled brother that you always hate that always did better than everybody else at school and whatnot, and you were jealous of him. Like that's kind of like how IndyCar kind of is right now. And there's been another debate about whether IndyCar should be treated as a specs or as a stepping stone series for Formula One, and it was. Surprisingly, it was Mario Andretti that, um, who ironically has raced in both series, um, that came out and said, "Well, listen, guys, like if we could make IndyCar as a stepping stone for Formula One, it could easily work the other way, could it not?" And I think he's got a very valuable point to this one, King. I mean, we, I think if anything, the last year and a half, we've we've seen more potential F1 guys hop on over to the American ladder, like Max Chilton, like Dean Stoneman, um, like Felix Rockenfist, like like Connor Daly, Joseph Newgarden raced in Europe for a lot as well. So I think he's got a point. Yeah, he he's definitely got a point. Like it can only help both if if they can have, I would say, the same fan base. To be honest, if, if you can have a, a successful IndyCar guy move from IndyCar to F1 because he wants to, or a successful F1 guy move from F1 to IndyCar because they want to, like you can go back to like the 70s where Mario did that and he was, you know, no one really bashed him for doing it, or the 60s where, where you had all these British and Commonwealth drivers going from F1 to IndyCar to try to win the 500. Graham Hill. Where it only... Yeah, where you have Graham Hill, you know, and uh, Graham Hill and company at Lotus trying to do it, and it it arguably helped both series mm. gain more of a presence in both markets. Yeah, I've I've always argued that Formula One is a sport that's marketed around individuals more than teams. I mean, when Juan Pablo Montoya debuted in Formula One in two thousand and one, he was. Everything everybody talked about his background from from car, obviously. Like Jack Villeneuve was another one, a guy that came over from from car and from America to race in Formula One, and, and that was a, and that was you know able to enhance his reputation when he got to Formula One before obviously winning over there too. So like for me, like I don't see the downside in, in the two series sharing drivers or basically having you know paths that could easily help the other across across the board because. Like I said before, I think this sport, a bit like the NBA in that regard, I think it's two kind of sports where you market it more on individuals. You talk about the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, the LeBron James, the Steph Currys that we're now seeing now, like as opposed to talking about a brand like a Mercedes or a Ferrari. I'm sure the hardcores will mention the cars as well, of course, but I think to the casual audience, 
If you could look at Lewis Hamilton and say, oh, he's a racing driver, you know, they don't talk about what team he drives, or they talk about the dude. They yeah. don't talk about the team. So for me, like, I don't know what your thoughts on this, Johnson, but I feel like like cross-promotion, let me, let me not well, let me be indirect cross-promotion with you know, the two guys helping each other out, or basically, you know, seeing similar names cross over and cross paths can only be a good thing, surely. Yeah, I think, as I say, it comes back to this idea that IndyCar and open-wheel racing in America has had a little bit of an identity crisis over the last... I say little bit, that's understatement of the century. <laughs> um, they've had a real identity crisis for the last two decades, and really, IndyCar at the moment, having re-merged into one entity with Champ Car coming, you know, going under, it kind of merged back together. It really needs to work out what it's about because, as I say, Champ Car Racing, USAC, you know, open wheel racing in America, for years and years was almost like an alternative Grand Prix series. And, you know, you had Grand Prix races from Europe and the rest of the world competing in America, competing in the Indy 500. That's why Graham Hill is one of the few guys who has completed the Motorsport Grand Slam. And Juan Pablo Montoya is on to do it now because he was around in that era um, when there was still that more of a crossover. The thing is right now with IndyCar, what does it want to be? Roger Penske, I think, has made it clear that it should stick to being simple. It should be relatively spec. It should be cost-effective to get into. And it should be American-focused. Who cares what the rest of the world's doing? We're not competing with them. On the other hand, you have this argument that should it just be treated at this, you know, there's almost like a insecurity issue, like a, um, you know, are we just an inferior cousin to Formula One? Do people mock us? No, our cars need to be more spectacular and they need to be faster and we need to produce our own stars and be internationally relevant to compete with Formula One. And that's what CART did for many, many years, granted not as quite as internationally. I mean, they, were, they raced, you know, the old iteration of CART raced at Brands Hatch in the 1970s, so it happened. Oh, yeah. um, it's a difficult one, as I say, and I think some people want uh, IndyCar and open-wheel racing in America to be one thing. You know, Mario Andretti, obviously raced when it was very internationally relevant. And of course, he crossed over into Formula One. So of course, he's going to want it to have that connection to the international stage. Guys like Roger Penske, who have been, you know, he ran in both. Obviously, he was a champion in the kart series as well. So right. he knows the game. And I think for him, as a guy who wants a return on his investment and wants to encourage new owners in, he is very much about, hey, let F1 be a money pit over there. We ain't competing with them. And we shouldn't. We're here doing our thing, for better or worse. Yeah, and again, like, I love Mario Andretti in general. He's one of, these, he's one of the great dudes in motorsport in, really in general. And, and again, I think he's another one of those that just, that just gets it. They, yeah. they, they often gets the 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 nature of motorsport and how I think again, it's an individual's game. It really is. You don't like. I know. Mm. Like for example, I'm using the NBA example again. We talk a lot about the Golden State Warriors and how they're about to become arguably the greatest regular season team of all time in basketball. But a lot of that is because because Steph Curry has become a legit crossover star because of what he's doing. He's he's literally changing the game right now by making the three pointer sexy, something that you know all the old guys seem to hate. So it's little things like that where, like I think the potential of crossover guys. Like I've talked about this a lot on video as well about how sport often needs big stars. Like you need a Roger Federer, you need a Ronnie O'Sullivan, you need a Usain Bolt, etc. Guys that will, will draw people in that you wouldn't normally associate with said sport. And you know, IndyCar has the potential to do that with Formula One and, and vice versa. And so why not embrace that? I think I think you're only um, heart, like like neutering your potential both ways if you try to actively avoid the other like that but you know 
whatnot. Right, back to Formula One for a bit before we wrap up the show. And <laughs> Renault has been very outspoken um, in the past few days regarding the nature of these hybrids going forward. And one of the stories that came out about this King was uh, Cyril Lebelabute out of the Renault camp talking about they want the fuel flow limit removed. Yes, they um, want the fuel flow limit removed. And he was quoted as saying, I'm a big fan of making sure that F1 remains F1. We should not <laughs> lean towards endurance. One of the things that has put F1 in danger or could be another threat to F1 is if we try to combine F1 and endurance. Endurance is about efficiency, sustainability, uh... and the capacity to run very long distances without any issues. F1 is about short races, usually being able to attack constantly. So basically, he slipped into the same trap David Coulthard did in thinking that F1 has always been about sprint racing. King, I'm just going to step back and pull the pin. It's all up to you now. Go for it. You got this. (laughs) I mean, I I just want to say he's he's flat out wrong. Yeah, like, I was like, my first one, my thoughts was, what the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Like, even, even in a race distance standpoint f1 grand prix are much longer than any single seater races out there the only like single seater series that has longer races than f1 is indycar and that's because they have like higher average speeds and i'm just thinking like wasn't wasn't Renault and Volkswagen like the main teams pushing for this new regulation? They wanted to run inline fours initially. Oh yeah, and, and yeah, and Ferrari vetoed it because Porsche wanted it on at that point, but Ferrari didn't want to go against Porsche, who, who were the kings of making those style of inline engines. So Renault was the one pushing for this kind of thing in the first place. <laughs> yes, and like even like. Even funnier is that the first ever Grand Prix, the 1906 French Grand Prix, which was won by Renault, had a fuel consumption limit where you couldn't use over a certain amount of fuel, which is like <laughs> F1 not being F1. F1 started out as that. Oh, it's just like, like honestly, like I am impressed at how well Cyril was able to dig his own respective grave on this one because... <laughs> What he was saying was literally complete hogwash in contrast to how F1 has been over the years. And as Johnson quite rightly pointed out, like, my word. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm still, I still can't stop laughing about this because it's just, <laughs> it's just like, how wrong could you be? This is one on of those, this? like, you actually said that. Yeah. Like, you're not trolling really us is. or anything. Because <laughs> Renault was pushing the agenda for hybrids in the first place and now they want to change the rules. And I think most of this is down to. From a political standpoint, it's because Renault have been third best with with power units ever since the hybrids came into effect. They, of course, like, it is effectively. Yeah, effectively, Renault have been caught with their trousers down since since 2014 came around because they were the way were the ones that wanted to push this so hard. And it turns out, Mercs and now Ferrari have made better power units than they have. And when they yeah. were the ones that were pushing for these rules in the first place, which is just hilarious in its own right. This just seems to me like your classic like. In football, you, the you go the post match interview where the manager will blame the referee for a controversial decision, and that's why his team lost the game. That's because what he doesn't want to say, he doesn't want to throw his team under the bus publicly. He'd rather protect his team, criticize them behind closed doors, but in public, oh, it's not their fault. It's the administrator's fault. It's all their fault. The rules are, are terrible. We should we should do this and this. 
this is clearly what it is. I mean, it, as you said, the statement makes no sense. It's clearly bluster and better than admitting publicly that the Renault engines just aren't dealing with this current state of rules very well. And I've, I'm sorry. Gavel bashing time. I'm sorry, Your Honour. Where's this idea that Formula One racing is sprint racing? Where's that come from? Where? You know, it, it, it's come from the drivers that have been so vocal in, in pushing their idea that F1 is about pushing flat out all the time and it's nature that the driver's got to be at 120% of his powers to be able to win. It's that kind of dictionary-based center style, you know, golden but era King, of Formula One discussions that people have brought up in the past, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. King, back me up on this. Has there ever been a period in Formula One racing or did it ever start out as flat out sprint racing or has there always been an element of tyre and fuel management? Uh, there's always been an element of tyre and fuel management because the races have gotten, the races have always been extremely long. We're, we're in like a period of time where F1 racing has been shorter than any other previous generation. <laughs> exactly. Like they've gotten shorter and shorter. So maybe, maybe they're onto something about the whole sprint racing thing, but I know F1, for a fact, F1 race used to be three or four hours long. Even I know that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and another thing I want to point for before we, before we close, close this segment out, as, like, have you noticed that like FOM does not even bother putting the fuel rates on the screen now during Grand Prix? Like, it's a complete non-factor. Teams have adapted to the rules. It's not like Australia 2014 where Ricardo got DQ'd for going over the limit, and now of course, of course there was a controversy regarding that. It's a non-factor. If somebody removed the fuel limit, would we notice in the middle of a race? Would the casual fan or maybe the uneducated fan notice the difference? Of course not. No. Such a, it's a complete non-factor. Well, this and is Renault not like really, endurance. This is not yeah. like full-on endurance racing. Like the idea of fuel limits isn't really new. I remember Group C sports car mm. racing tried this in the late '80s, and that basically was a case of. Build cars as powerful and as fast as you want as long as they use this amount of fuel in an endurance race. And that basically stopped guys going completely mental making 2,500 horsepower turbo cars. They basically went, right, they've got to use this amount of fuel. But you ended up with cars with different identities with and cars with different engines. You know, Jaguar had V12, Sauber's had V8s, others had turbo engines. The Porsche 962 had a uh, flat six, I think it was. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that. but you don't really get that as much in Formula One where all the engines are the same. They're all mandated to be the same dimension, um, same liters, same uh, configuration. So everyone's kind of going to get the same fuel flow rate anyway. So exactly. that's how it is. So, yeah, Cyril's talking out of his butt, quite frankly. I think it's just a, a blatant agenda for him to try and basically tweak the rules so that Renault can run a richer fuel setting more than anything else. I just think it's completely unnecessary. But hey-ho, welcome to Formula One and the world of politics. <laughs> Next, speaking of F1 politics, the CVC. Oh, no. <laughs> And of course, Bernie Eccleston has talked more, and of course, people have reacted to oh. it. It's like, like, I, 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 how many I like times have we told you guys, don't bite? <laughs> Do not. Like, it's like I like to think that Monza these days is like the pinata that everybody takes a stick to every time Bernie talks about potentially removing it from the calendar. Please do not feed the Eccleston. 
Yeah, please do not feed what Bernie has to say, otherwise he will keep doing shit like this. <laughs> Again, pardon my language, God. Uh, like, like the second time around now, I, I've got to have a swear jar for every episode taken from here <laughs> on in. But um, <laughs> essentially... Yep, it's that time of year again when we talk about the possibility of Monza not being on the calendar for next year, yet it keep magically reappears. Happens every year. I don't know how it keeps happening. But yeah, Monza is apparently at risk again of being replaced this time by the possibility of a Grand Prix in Las Vegas. Um, it, like, King, could it be enough one of those like Las Vegas American-style airport kind of races that, that that's going on here, King? Like, I, I just yes. like this again, yeah? Yes, like... like- I said it on Twitter, like people who say, oh, they could never get a race to happen in Las Vegas. I'd be like, you're wrong. Las Vegas is extremely wide boulevards and miles of parking lots as far as the eye can see. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they used to host host IndyCar races there, Champ Car races. Didn't they used to host Grand Prix on the streets of Vegas? Yeah, did they have a Caesars Palace race in like 81? Yeah, it, it ran. That ran for four years. The first two years it was an F one race, and the last two years it was a kart race. Yeah, shout out to um, friend of the show uh, Matt from uh, Mystery Science Theater F one. Go check him out. He's a fantastic video maker. Before the um, FOM shuts him down. Yeah, before the FOM shuts us down, of course, inevitably. Uh, then you can watch them on Vimeo instead, because everyone watches Vimeo <laughs> videos, right? But um, in any case, yeah, it's going to be one of those Las Vegas airfield kind of deals like we got with Formula One in the past, and obviously like American Grand Prix of old. We've seen it many a times where, they, where they, they, they have their airfields for for a layout for a Grand Prix. But again, of course, it's been shut down by many people, and fans just completely despise this idea and whatnot, because, of course, it, it's such an historic track. Like, I've never been one of those historic Grand Prix advocates. I do, to a degree, understand the frustration, and I understand that you know the need to keep historic races on the calendar. Well, I'm not going to cry for Monza. I just, I, I am not. <laughs> it's the nearest thing Formula One has to a friggin' oval race. And like, if you're going to do that, I say just have an oval race. I'd be really intrigued to see how that would actually go. But in any case. King. One thing that's guaranteed Bull- to annoy the purists more: replace Monza with an oval bullseye. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, like no one would piss off a hardcore fan more than the possibility of Monza getting replaced by an American oval. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but King, it's another one of those Bernie kind of Monza could go, but probably won't kind of stories, really, isn't it? Yeah, it, it seems like he's given given him the old Bernie shakedown for a bit more cash. <laughs> yeah he's basically he's basically just like hey um you could be off the calendar and these guys really wouldn't like it if you were off the calendar so you know toss a couple more bucks our way if you don't want to make those people angry yep hold them down and they won't drill into your kneecaps basically at this point i mean let's uh, be real here how many times mm. in the last few years i remember uh during the 2000s Silverstone was that track. Every year there was a rumor that Silverstone was going to lose its Grand Prix. Brands Hatch was going to get it. Donington was going to get it. Donington even got as far as presenting a remodeled grade one spec track, which incidentally looked hideous. But (laughs) And then coincidentally, Silverstone paid up and the Grand Prix stayed at Silverstone. And now Monza's that track. And in the last few years, it's been threatened to be replaced with Baku, weirdly. That was never going to replace the track. Las Vegas, Mugello earlier this year, Imola. 
what yeah, else? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Knock Hill? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, man, like, to be honest, if Monza doesn't have the money, no other track in Italy has the money. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, like, Monza is effectively the mecca point for motorsport in general at this point. If if Monza are going to go broke, Mugello and Imola don't have a hope in hell, yeah, exactly. quite frankly. They are, so, there's no way they're going to meet the asking price. And, and on your point on history, I think... It is one of those things. Monza is like the sacred cow of F1 at this point in time. Uh, but in the last few years, Formula One, it's 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 almost weird that F1 now shows a respect for history and tradition when <laughs> there's no German. Is there? There's a German Grand Prix this year, but there wasn't last yeah. year, and exactly. and there's no French Grand Prix. The country that invented Grand Prix racing. <laughs> there's no yeah, French Grand Prix. I haven't been a French Grand Prix since 2008, so the history card is gone. You can't play that card. Exactly. It's a bit like NASCAR not going to Daytona anymore. Yeah, you just can't do it at that point in time. So, yeah, it's another one of those um, Bernie rocks the cage with a with a with a Monza could go story. And of course, fans on Twitter will find anything to complain about regarding the current F one product. So, of course, they're going to jump all over a story like this. And I'm like, don't you guys get bored of reacting to this story every six weeks? I mean, (laughs) it's like. I, I just I just cringe at it really, um, but you know we're all gonna get mad about it, and Monza will be back on the calendar next year, and everybody can breathe a nice warm sigh of relief. And finally, on this episode of the Motorsport One Hundred and One Podcast, Adam has actually gone famous. Everybody, Adam Johnson has appeared on national newspapers around the world, or maybe not, maybe national papers around the world, but. Maybe not not that Adam Johnson, the other one. Our Adam Johnson. Hey, (laughs) I like to think I'm repairing the damage done to the name of Adam Johnson's everywhere. (laughs) I am now the most famous Adam Johnson, not in jail. Oh, good. Well, you know, that's uh, that's a plus. That's something. Uh, But uh, Adam, tell us more about your current job um, in the world of RC racing and what exactly happened. (laughs) Well, basically what happened is this um, past weekend we're recording... um, we're recording on March 30th, uh, the previous, on Easter weekend, effectively, uh, the 25th to the 28th of March. I was at a huge, big, big, big radio-controlled car racing event called the NEO. Uh, it was in, um, at the Harper Adams Agricultural College or University uh, in the West Midlands, sort of north of Telford. Um, this is a major event attended by RC racers around the world, big American teams, the factory teams, Kyosho, Associated, HPI, you know, all the big players. And recently I, I work, I do a lot of commentary work for RC Racing TV, which is um, uh, owned by Radio Le Mans' Nick Damon. You've probably heard him, mentioned him on the, on the show already, of course. And um, yeah, basically, uh, this is an off-road racing meet, so it was kind of a dirt track with lots of jumps and everything. And uh, it was one eight scale nitro buggies, so quite sizable cars. And during one of the qualifying sessions, fairly quiet session, uh, a car flips coming down a slope. It's upside down. Marshall runs on the track. It's it, it's it starts to get bad from here on in because he runs on the track, tries to retrieve this car. Another car runs straight into his shins, and he then slowly kind of topples over. It's a classic like timber. He then topples <laughs> over, lands on top of another car. So he effectively squashes another buggy, and then another buggy appears to run into his crotch. So literally, this is just a comedy of errors. And the funniest bit is that it's on the Daily Mail website. They had a whole article about it, basically entitled, 
watch in horror as a man gets run over by toy cars, which I thought was a pretty great summation of it, even for the Daily Mail standards. And the clip from RCTV is on there, and it's me and Nick Damon commentating on it, and we literally have no idea what to say. Nick was legitimately bent over double laughing next to me in the commentary box, and I was just sat there going, have I just seen an RC car being driven into someone's man parts? (laughs) And that appears to be now my claim to fame. Saying, did an RC car just run over someone's man parts? <laughs> I will put the link for this Daily Mail story in the description of the next episode because it is just hilarious in its own right. And I, I believe you need to you need to see this. It's one of the things that you know we can't do it justice. Listen, like just telling you this on the podcast. Find the link. I will. I will. I will put it up there. It's just as hilarious as we have described. Normally, it. we don't advertise course, Daily Mail links, but this is no, an exception. I am willing to make an exception in this case, and obviously, keep following RC Racing TV and, and you know more of Adam Johnson in general. So, yeah, check them out as well if you get a chance. Of course, and shout out again to Nick Damon for actually watching the show. God bless him. I don't know what we got him into. Johnson, this is your fault. Clearly, <laughs> you've ruined my reputation as a professional swearer. How dare you? Sorry, <laughs> but um. Yeah, that will just about wrap it up for this episode of Motorsport 101. Oh, of course, you can follow all of us on Twitter at Harris101HD, in my case, at AJ underscore Bomber Sports. Um, and Ryan Eric King with two Ks. That's Ryan E-R-I-K King, because it's, it's a difficult one to the average person. It's <laughs> oh, God. Then casual viewers. viewers. It's, it's, it's the hipster. Viewers. It's like I, I was saying middle name is Nico Rosberg. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Like, no wonder you like him so much. I'm going to bury you next time he doesn't win a race. <laughs> oh, hey, he's, yeah. To be fair, he's got, he's got four in a row. He's on a pretty good run of form right now. So hey, who, who knows? It might be for a while before we have to start bashing Rosberg again because that's what we do in F1 these days. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, why not check us out on Patreon over there, Patreon.com/slash Motorsport101. You can check it out. And if you really, really like us, you can support us on there. And there's some perks and things you can you can get prizes who doesn't love stickers after all so you can check yeah, us yeah, out those get, those get mailed out next week yeah they're getting mailed out next week so, yeah, that, so there's guys that are back to some patron at the i think it's the five dollar level or higher that's good news for you you're getting your stuff next week so hopefully that would be awesome um i think that just about wraps it oh and by the way check out the youtube channel as well youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 we've got we've got highlights of the shop there and exclusive content including the dre brief series and we've also hit 600 subscribers Subscribers on there in just two and a half months of, uh, of effort. King has done an absolutely sensational job editing these videos together. Expect to see many, many more of them in April once I get this PC built and I can take some of this flack for video editing and whatnot. Because, because you know, we we see the potential in this. And I think thanks to everyone that's subscribed over there as well, because we, we've we've been shocked at how, at how great it's gone since we started. We've only got like 18, 19 videos on there. But despite that, we've had and gross so thanks to everyone who subscribed over there on youtube as well and hopefully we'll get some viewers and listeners over here as well as a result of that and the uh, cross promotion which is all really cool and all that anyway in the meantime i've been andre harrison they've been ryan king and adam johnson thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next time sayonara The FOM after me. I've got to go. <laughs> They'll never take me alive.
Run, Charlton, run! 